Hi, I'm Sarah, host of the Juna Women podcast and founder of Juna. Our mission is to help guide women like you through your trying to conceive pregnancy and motherhood journey. Today's episode is all about naturopathic and alternative medicine for reproduction and fertility. By the end of this episode, you should have a much better idea of what a naturopathic doctor does, whether this is the right route for you, and gain a better understanding of the connection between your overall well-being and how that might affect your ability to get pregnant. I always say health is a function of mental, emotional, physical, and nutritional, and spiritual. You know, and we, we got to work on all those things together to, to shift someone's life. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited to be here. Do you want to go ahead and start by introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about what you do and how you found your path there? Sure. So I'm Amy Ralph, and I am a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist, and I've been in clinical practice for 16 years. At this point, prior to becoming an acupuncturist, I was en route to become a medical doctor, so I was studying uh, Western medicine, biology, chemistry, neuroscience, a bachelor's and an almost master's degree in all of those things, and then I I changed course to pursue Chinese medicine. It spoke to me mainly because it didn't just look at physiology, but it more looked at the emotional component to disease or disharmony in the body. And then over the years in my practice, I started writing books about 10 years ago. My first book came out in 2010 called Chill Out and Get Healthy. And then I wrote another book called Yes, You Can Get Pregnant in 2015 and or 2014 and then my most recent book body belief which is how to heal autoimmune diseases radically shift your health and learn to love your body more came out just i guess in 2018 i can't even remember 2018 or 2019 but so i started writing books and that really because i was a research scientist i think before i became an acupuncturist i have this very strong almost like obsession, if you will, with, with the data too, because, because Chinese medicine is a very subjective medicine. It's very esoteric. My Western medicine background still, I still depend on, I want to see the labs and I want to understand the disease state and the physiology and the pathophysiology. And I really like to mesh the, I always say health is a function of mental, emotional, physical, and nutritional and spiritual. And we got to work on all those things together to, to shift someone's life. And my main focus really the last 10 years has been fertility and that I didn't choose. It just started coming to me, but I think because of my science background, it's a very measured end result. You either get that baby and and I'd also see like FSH improve or AMH improve or natural killer cells go down. I would, I get to see these labs shift. And so it's, it's really, it's a passion of mine to be the detective, to help uncover all of the pieces and help, you know, my clients put it together so they can achieve, you know, their dream with it to have a baby or to achieve a certain health goal. And yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell, but my passion is just, we say, I don't really try to help women get pregnant. I just try to help women become the best version of themselves on every level. And I do think fertility thrives from there because fertility is just from a Chinese medicine perspective, 
it's an overflow, it's an abundance, it's an excess of our vital substances. And, and those are all nurtured from not just our diet and not just supplements, but our lifestyle and our mental emotional component. And when I work on all of those, then I do see this kind of overabundance of energy happen in a woman's body and the, the fertility gets unlocked and that woman gets to have her dream baby, which is a beautiful thing to witness. It, yeah, I, I imagine. Now, I'm curious. So how does your approach to fertility differ from Western medicine in that if I'm coming with what, what is it? What does a, a client ex- or patient experience look like with you versus if I were to just go to a reproductive endocrinologist? I don't take blood and I don't have a sonogram machine. <laughs> so those are two things that typically have a better bedside. Someone said to me in the clinic yesterday that... What she gets from me is I have a very strong knowledge base in Western medicine. I know all the tests that they're doing now, and I know what PGS, I just know all the things, if you will, from a Western perspective Mm -hmm. as it comes to fertility. I know what your thyroid should be and what your vitamin D should be, and I know what we need to check for if you've had more than one miscarriage, all that kind of stuff, so I can help direct you and support you. I also hold space, though, in that mental, emotional to help you manage the trauma of going through the fertility journey. Cause even if you've been on it for one month or a hundred months, it sucks and it's hard. And mm-hmm. so you get that for me, you get this, this really close friend who's your cheerleader and confidant, but then also I help you put all the pieces together. Okay. Is this the right doctor for you? Is what kind of IVF protocol do you need? Do you need IVF? Should we, should we get sperm checked? what supplements are right for you. I like to look at the genetics. I I do a genetic report. A lot of times on my clients, I like to look at hormones through urine analysis. I usually use the Dutch test with my clients. So I do a lot of functional treatments because I can where I'm licensed. And then of course, diet is huge, uh, lifestyle and meditations and spirituality. So I really bring it all together. And typically when a client comes to see me in the clinic, it's a very detailed intake on your health history from everything from like, how are you pooping to how are you sleeping to how is your sex drive to do you even like to have intimate relations with your partner to what is you know, your vision of motherhood. We really cover all of it. And then from there, I just start to massage and and unpack where I think you need the most work. So it's very individualized treatment, which I think is very different from the Western approach. Western is very much, oh, you're 35 and your AMH is this and your FSH is this, and you've been trying for this many months. And so this is the protocol rather than this is Sarah and she has this going on and she had, this is a child and this, her digestive system is off and she has eczema and she is really stressed at work and enjoys her husband, but sex has become a chore. And you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing where I really right, get right, right. into all the pieces that, that are impacting. They just, they really are. And even the data now is telling us hands down that our belief systems, our stress levels, those things are impacting our physiology and our neurochemistry and therefore our hormones. And so I, I'm super passionate about that part because I know scientifically that it is really impacting. I'm not saying it's to blame for fertility challenges, but it is playing a role and it needs to be looked at. And the Western model just does not look at that part. Totally. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And now what you said that you didn't seek out fertility patients, how did, how did that kind of fall on you? 
I think acupuncture gets a lot of positive, what's the word? I can't think of the word. I was going to say wrap, like positive support, if you will. There's yeah. a lot of positive support right. there in the medical community for acupuncture with fertility because there's been a couple studies and they've been repeated and the results are the same, that if you use acupuncture while undergoing IVF, you have a better success rate. And it's upwards of like 30 to 40% better success rate. So it's very significant. Oh, wow. So a lot of yeah. fertility doctors love acupuncture. And actually a lot of gynecologists like acupuncture too, because there's a interesting research that it helps with PCOS. It helps with balancing hormones. It helps regulate an ovulatory cycle. It helps regulate dysmenorrhea, right? So we get referrals from gynecologists a lot. And I think being a woman and woman's health, I just started seeing a lot of women with hormonal issues across the board. I can remember my first couple of clients was like endometriosis, but she was in a, a same sex partnership and had no desire to have children. So it was just managing her endo. And then I had a 40 year old woman trying to get pregnant. And I just unpacked from there where I just noticed that when I focused on their health and health being mental, emotional, physical, nutritional, and spiritual, that their hormonal symptoms improved. And rather than when I was doing like straight up fertility, acu there's some people who will say that they're fertility acupuncturists and they use specific points and they do specific herbs and they're not, in my opinion, always getting a clear diagnosis constitutionally for the, the patient that I wasn't getting the same results. So for me... I really just tried to look at overall health. And then I noticed that, oh, these fertility girls are getting pregnant faster when I do it that way. And I think from there, I got excited that I was just focused on overall health and then fertility thrived as an extension of that. And then one thing led to another. And then I decided to write a book because I really felt like we were, we were missing. Like I entitled the book, Yes, You Can Get Pregnant, very intentionally because I really felt like there was a lot of fear out there about whether or not can I get pregnant? Am I ever going to get pregnant? Will this work for me? Am I broken? And I wanted to really challenge that belief system because that's not what I was seeing clinically. And in fact, when we were just solely focused on only fertility and not the whole picture that we, nobody was getting the results that they wanted. And yeah, I feel like, I guess I just started to get more and more passionate about it. And then that just drew in more patience to me. And then obviously writing a book makes you a bit more popular, right. and, you know, that happened. Too. A very specific <laughs> focus, you'll draw some of that. That happened too. And, but that was actually a cool experience in and of itself because then I started getting the real, so I get the girls that have, have been to six other acupuncturists and four mm -hmm. different functional medicine doctors and they're on their fifth fertility clinic. And I hate that they've had a challenge for that long, but I get those cases now and it's still the same thing. I still just got to unpack it all. And then we really get to the root of it. And <clears throat> when I, I think I've been around long enough too, that I really know how each different fertility clinic works and what their approach is going to be and who's going to be right for what. But writing Yes, You Can Get Pregnant was, I can help a lot of girls just with that book, which is amazing because there's a lot of girls that just need some minor tweaks for, I always say it's the frequency and consistency. So minor tweaks for a six month period, a nine month period, and it can work. And then there are girls that need a lot more attention to detail and I've become like their detective where I can really help them figure out all those little pieces. And, and we, we get babies at the end, which is, and I, I am a bit obsessed with that part. It's just so beautiful to watch a woman transform into a mother. It's, it's really like the greatest gift. I'm a mother myself. I know that now too, what, what a blessing it is. And uh, yeah. And life-changing. Ah.
Yeah. Now, would you say that most at this point was where most of did a lot of your clients have autoimmune issues? Yeah. So that's what I discovered. So when I was researching, yes, you can get pregnant. I just thought it was really interesting in the research. There was this stat, right? That like 40% of women or 50% of women trying to get pregnant have unexplained infertility, right? That's the diagnosis. Everybody's heard it. You guys all know it. Most of you have that diagnosis. You don't got anything wrong with you, right? It's just, you have unexplained infertility and we don't know what's going on. And, but then if you start to look at the data, it's, oh, a lot of those girls actually might have endometriosis or they might have PCOS, although it's managed, but so we still don't know why they're not getting pregnant, but they do have these diagnoses or they have Hashimoto's, a thyroid issue, or maybe they have celiac, which is becoming more and more common in the fertility world. And so I was looking at different research papers and then I actually um, was interviewing for the book, um, the head of VL Reproductive Medicine, he's still there, Hugh Taylor. And I asked him, I said, what are your thoughts on this like theory of mine that most of these unexplained infertility cases are actually undiagnosed or mismanaged autoimmune conditions? And he was like, he like chuckled and he was like a proud father. He was like, cause he's a little older than me. And he was like, mm-hmm. he's a young lady, you were onto something. He said, right now we're screening everyone in our clinics for, and this is six years ago. We're screening everyone in our clinics for Hashimoto's and for celiac because we're seeing such a high rate of these two conditions in conjunction with this unexplained infertility. And when we treat those, like remove gluten or manage the thyroid antibodies or manage the autoimmunity that's going on, uh, guess what? They're getting pregnant. And I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm actually doing in the clinic. Like, that's what I mean when I say I'm looking at the whole picture, right? So like Hashimoto, you might not ever think it had anything to do with not getting pregnant, but it it does because the thyroid is the master of everything. And if you don't manage the thyroid, you are not going to get pregnant. And if your body's in a state of massive inflammation from these thyroid antibodies, it is a hostile environment. It will reject a pregnancy at all costs because it just doesn't think it has the goods to grow a life. It's, it's very basic the way I tend to look at it. It's just, do you have enough to give up? Are you a hospitable environment or not? And, and then you, if you look at endometriosis as an autoimmune condition, that covers a huge portion of girls not being able to get pregnant. Polycystic has a lot of autoimmune-like tendencies. Some will call it autoimmunity, some not. I think it's an autoimmune condition because it seems to respond well to that same kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there you have it. It's basically, okay, so basically only the girls with structural issues, like a missing ovary or blocked tubes, but those are probably due to endometriosis anyway. Those are the ones that mm-hmm. maybe don't have an autoimmune condition. And not every single woman has an autoimmune condition that's not being able to get pregnant, but I do think it's a rock you got to look under. And so you would know if maybe you had something, if you have like digestive issues, like gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, skin issues, like eczema, psoriasis. These are my big tip-offs. Eczema, mm-hmm. psoriasis, huge tip-offs for me where I'm like, okay, there's something else going on. Obviously like joint pain, headaches, really low energy, um, you know, really allergic, like a very sinusy seasonal allergy type, or like they get like rashes and extreme like histamine reactions to like mosquito bites, things like that. Those are all signs that the immune system is a little wonky. And that could definitely, so to me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix that problem. I'm going to figure out what's causing that and how to regulate that in their body. And that's usually like diet and lifestyle and supplements (laughs) and mental emotional things. And then you see the immune system regulate. And guess what? 
basically inflammation gets lowered in the body and fertility then thrives or fertility is then basically allowed to thrive. Ensue, right. Now, quick question, because I don't want to spend too much time on celiacs, but I'm just curious. Mm. Is celiacs, does that, does celiacs impact your fertility when it's mismanaged? If I'm diagnosed with celiacs and I'm, I don't eat gluten, am I like in the clear? Yeah, probably. As long as you don't also have a gluten, a dairy and a soy intolerance or something like that. If you're celiac and you no longer have any symptoms of digestive disturbance or skin issues or uh, headaches or any of those things, then yes, you're in the clear. So I, I have a, I have an online course and even in my book and I have, and in all my books, I have a checklist, like a symptom checklist. And I call it in body belief, I call it your red flag symptom checklist. I think in my e-course, I call it the kinks in your system. But basically like you go through that, if you don't have any kinks in your system, any red flags, that's my goal is to get those red flags to no nobody's perfect and we all have our days but we want them to be gone 90% of the time once you hit that yes you should be able to then conceive okay and now let's talk specifically about I just want to hear the stats on PCOS endometriosis and Hashimoto's because I think those are like the three biggest ones that I'm thinking of like maybe I'm wrong but it's pretty high right like how many women have them I think I just read on Aviva Rahm's post yesterday, one in 10 women have endometriosis. Okay. Most of them don't know it. Because the only way to diagnose it is you got to go in laparoscopically or to get a pelvic MRI. And most doctors aren't, the health insurance companies won't pay for it. Most doctors aren't willing to do it. IVF works for a lot of those girls, especially if they're younger and the inflammation hasn't had enough time to really do its damage. But... What's younger for you? Oh, yeah, for me. Uh, 30. <laughs> no, like, well, yeah. What's... 33 and below, I'd say. 33 and below, okay. Yeah. I think this is how I see it. It's like a, an accumulation. It's just like the way I'm 45 now. So it's I used to be able to get, I could go all night without sleeping in my 20s and maybe have a couple cocktails and get up the next day and do my thing. Like now, forget mm-hmm. it. I'd be laid up for a week. You know what I mean? So it's, I can't handle yeah. it the same way. So that's the same thing of like your body in the beginning, it can get away with eating crappy, st- skipping meals. It can manage the inflammation. The older you get, the harder it gets. And then the more compromised you get. So it's the longer you've been doing it. I think the more damage, you can undo the damage. So I don't want to scare anybody. You can totally undo the damage. And I think within max a year, maybe some cases two years, but definitely three, six, nine months, you can undo a lot of this inflammatory damage. You just really, it's frequency and consistency. So I think endo is like one in 10. PCOS, I might have to look up the stat for you. But so ovulatory issues are actually the number one reason that women have fertility challenges. Mm-hmm. And PCOS is the most common fertility challenge in the United States, affecting approximately 20 to 30% of all women with fertility issues. So it's fairly significant. And then premature ovarian aging is another one that falls in there. But a lot of times, so everybody knows, a lot of times that's an autoimmune condition because I have helped quite a few women reverse their diagnosis of premature ovarian aging or premature ovarian failure. And the key is the word premature, meaning that this is happening to you in like your 30s or even early 40s where you just shouldn't be hitting menopause yet. You know what I mean? Or significant trauma happened and then it happened right after that typically can be reversed. And I know doctors would totally argue me on that, but I've seen it clinically and I know they have too. 
And endo is about the same. It's about 20 to 30%, by the way, of affecting women with difficulty conceiving. But so it's about one in 10. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD. All in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D. All in caps. Now, back to the show. And do, I guess, how hard is PCOS to diagnose or what are the symptoms of PCOS? So when it comes to PCOS, I think the main symptoms is a lack of ovulation. So you'll see these longer cycles. So some women have... PCOS and they're still having somewhat regular cycles, like a 40 or a 50 day cycle. Some women will have 100, 200 day cycles. Um, And then there's two different types. They call them the thin type and thick type was the, I think, non-politically correct term. And now they're calling them insulin resistant versus non-insulin resistant. But Mm -hmm. the, the, the textbook PCOS is the girl that like easily gains weight, has acne, has facial hair, has hair growing on her chest or her neck, like poor skin, patches of hair loss, thinning scalp, hypoglycemia issues, and she has visible cysts on her ovaries upon ultrasound. And then there is the non-insulin dependent type. They tend to be pretty, they can lose weight, they have clear skin, they don't have facial hair, they don't have a lot of cysts on their ovaries, in fact, but they can be easily affected by hormonal shifts or like dietary shifts too that will then impact their cycle all of a sudden I almost say like they fall into a PCOS for a couple months all of a sudden they have like this 60-day cycle and it typically has to do with we just have to get the body to ovulate and once it ovulates then typically a period will come 14 days later or you could fall pregnant so PCOS is that and I do find pretty easy to manage again it's you have to be really consistent and in your approach especially with diet and especially with supplements and especially avoiding like a lot of the artificial sweeteners and the sugars and making sure you're eating enough protein and fat. And then you can regulate blood sugar, which then will help regulate your cycle. Testosterone is usually high in these girls, either type. 
Sex hormone binding globulin is usually high. DHEA is usually high. So you can look at it on blood work too. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. there's a ratio between FSH and LH that with PCOS, it's usually greater than two to one or three to one of FSH to LH. It should be like a one-to-one ratio. And in PCOS, that's like the number one way to look for it. You just look at their FSH and LH. And if it's like a two to one or a three to one ratio, they're likely PCOS. Okay. And then, because you said it's pretty easy to manage, is that through diet? Yeah. Uh, acupuncture is really great too at helping regulate okay. ovulation. So I'll do acupuncture, Chinese herbs, diet, managing stress. Those are the types that, like the girls that they have a really stressful month and then all of a sudden they just don't ovulate or it's okay. They have a tendency towards this situation. And do they usually know? Do women with PCOS know that they have PCOS or is it, is it? Yeah. I'd say at least half of them know they've gotten a previous diagnosis. What gets tricky this day and age is a lot of women are put on the pill at a young age because they're having some menstrual issues and then they stay on that pill, the birth control pill Mm -hmm. for 15, 16 years. And then they go off and they just want to get pregnant right away. And then the body now has time to like resume what it was doing 16 years ago and mm-hmm. that's when we see the PCOS because we didn't know they had it before. We just They just had really bad acne and their mom sent them to the doctor and the doctor gave them the pill and that was that. And then they stayed on. Yeah. We never that, saw the presentation. That's actually what I've, like through this series, I've interviewed like tons of, like a variety of people in the medical professional field and, and everyone's saying the same thing. They're just like, what ends up happening? Because people think like the pill does this thing, but it's more that we're just masking what the issues were before. And then the pill causes all these nutrient deficiencies. So then you get off of it and your body's just, oh, all right. So I'm really deficient in all my B vitamins. My thyroid needs attention. Like it's, Mm -hmm. and not to say there are women that go off the pill, get pregnant, have healthy pregnancies. That definitely happens too. But most of the time it's six to nine months to restore a normal ovulatory function and for like hormones to really figure themselves out. And so that's a lot of times in that six to nine month period, we'll actually see the PCOS start to show up. We'll see it like maybe a normal period once, maybe a normal period second time. In the third month, it's I've had a 75 day cycle. I don't know what's going on. And then chances are we go and get blood work or an ultrasound and we'll see what's like the start of PCOS. But again, it's, I do think it's a very manageable situation and I don't think Clomid is the only option. I think there's a lot of things that women can do to really balance their hormones and regulate the PCOS. So what are some things? You have to eat like upwards of 80 grams of protein a day. You need to eat six to eight servings. This is my standard across the board, but especially PCOS, six to eight servings of vegetables a day. Leafy greens and cruciferous are the best. Good quality fats, a couple tablespoons a day of a good quality fat. And I think with PCOS, especially we got to, we don't want to go low carb for anybody. Like I still think like sweet potatoes and plantains and even rice or even quinoa are really important, but A lot of times going grain-free really helps the PCOS. Cutting out all sugar, all alcohol, I know that's tough. Those are the things that will really help regulate the PCOS, the managing the stress, getting enough sleep. You really need that like 10 to 6 or 11 to 7 sleep time in complete darkness. And that's really key for the PCOS girls. You you should be wearing a mask or sleeping with blackout shades because you need that total darkness to help stimulate ovulation for your body. So a lot of girls. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I've literally never heard that. Oh, really? That's funny. No. Um, 
It's in my book. You haven't read my book, apparently. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so- complete blackness. Yeah, really helps with a normal ovulatory function. And you'll see that too, like the girls that travel a lot in different time zones or when they're kind of this, this sleep pattern is very disrupted. That's where you'll see these anovulatory or this ovulation dysfunction. They don't necessarily have PCOS, but they'll, they'll head towards that. Regulating the blood sugar. That is the absolute key. And, and they also... The keto diet, I do not agree with for fertility whatsoever, nor intermittent fasting. It's just, those are just the two things that are just not good for fertility and really for the PCOS types. Okay. Now, because you, you, you had mentioned in your description of PCOS, you were talking about insulin resistant versus non-insulin resistant. And I... My husband is a type one diabetic, and so yes, my brain goes somewhere. And I, what, so, are you saying that some, like some people who have PCOS, like need to be on insulin, or what is what does that mean? They could. They'll, they'll put them on metformin, right? So that's the diabetic. Okay. Drug. Yep. Yeah, and that'll help them with regulating the blood sugar. So they don't put them on insulin because they're not, but they have a greater tendency towards gestational diabetes and or type two later in their life, but they're okay. not typically type ones. And now, is this weight related? When you say they typically can gain weight easier, like yeah. are, are be women with PCOS? So with PCOS, okay. the, I'm going to say this from a clinical perspective, from my clinical perspective, the heavier set women, we're talking like 80 to 100 pounds overweight types, they're harder to treat. You've got to get them to lose weight first. So sometimes in that case, I might go with like an intermittent fasting and a keto to get them to drop the weight. <laughs> And then pull them off of that and put them on a regular, because that'll help with weight loss, but that's not going to be great for your hormones. So ideally, I try to do a little bit of both. Maybe we'll just go completely grain-free and one serving of carbohydrates a day type of thing, not including um, vegetables. But, and that'll work for them. So it just depends on the case and and where our priorities are. But did that answer the question? It did answer the question. Now, I also have a question because I, in listening to you and how you treat your patients and the relationship that it, the length that it sounds like people are, like, have with you, I'm interested in the type of person because I, I think it's a, it, like when you want to get pregnant, it's hard to look at it and, okay, we have six to nine months. I'd be like, no, I want to be pregnant next Tomorrow. next month. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and so how like how do you I manage them where they're at? Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I really try to meet them where they're at. I get a lot of girls that are in the middle of a cycle, and the last one didn't work, and they read my book, and they want to work with my team and I, and and we, and we would never say no to anybody. I do mm-hmm. if I can get three months where. Not necessarily that we're not trying, but maybe that we're not cycling if we're doing an IVF. So I could just get you on a whole protocol. Depends on some girls will come to me and they're doing like 80% of the the things, quote unquote, correctly. And they just need a couple tweaks and that's all we need. Some girls are coming to me and they've had four rounds of IVF and they're not getting any PGS normal embryos or they had four miscarriages. That might be like, I just had a call this morning with a girl and I was like, I want you to not try for three months. And for someone, that's a relief to be told. Yeah, no, I get that. She did. She started to cry when I said that. She was like, thank you. I I needed to hear that. I'm like, we're not going to try for three months and we're just going to focus on you getting you back. And then we're going to go into this. And if you want to do IVF again, we can do that if you want to try on your own. But I always give them to, I I recommend them to put themselves on a timeline though too. Okay. We're going to try this for three months and then we're going to go back to the fertility treatments if this doesn't work or that kind of thing. So yeah, I get, I work in New York city. So I definitely get the women who want to be pregnant yesterday. Most of them, Mm -hmm. something 
into that too, that I work with, like from the emotional perspective is I work a lot on them trusting where they're at and surrendering and that spiritual space and a relationship with the the spirit of your child who's coming to you and understanding that this isn't just your decision. This is a bigger universal decision. And I get very spiritual and, and my girls love it behind closed doors for certain. Not everybody is openly out there like that, but it's really right. healing and therapeutic. So when there is that pressure to get pregnant yesterday, I really try to get them to unpack that too, because there is a lot of control in there that needs to be worked on because life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. And, and also from what space do you want to get pregnant? It, that does work for a lot of people that I want to be pregnant in April so I can have whatever baby and whatever time that is 10 months from there. But there's a lot of women that that can work for. Mm. But I, I do think there's a bigger picture that we need to focus on. Of This is about your health and your health is going to 100%. The science shows us it is absolutely the truth is going to determine the health of that child and the health of that child. And so I want us to really think about that. We spend a year saving for our house. We spend a year planning a wedding. I really want you to spend a couple months in that preconception time frame. You know what I mean? And especially if you've been at this a while and it's not working, we do need to step back and what is working, what is not and come up with a game plan. So that's, you know, how I approach it and and that is when I get the best results, when I can get a woman to really okay. But I I I have women all the time that come to me mid-cycle and in and if we have success right away, I don't usually take credit for that. I feel like they were doing the stuff and I just pushed them over the edge a little bit but and helped them get there, but that was on them. And then I have other women who've had a lot of unsuccessful attempts and we reconfigure the the protocol and, and then we go back at it and we have success. It just at the end of the day, they all want the same thing. They all want that healthy pregnancy and that healthy baby. And so it's me just trying to figure out how I can best support them and they can best follow my protocol and we figure out how to work together. Got it. And and so you talked about keto. You don't like that for hormones or for fertility. You don't it's like- low carb. You got to have at least 20% carbohydrates for healthy hormones. Yeah. You just have to. Um, it's just a diet I don't understand. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, why isn't this just Atkins like, on, like with a better, like more marketing? A lot with um, Frank Lipman. Do you know him, Doctor Frank Lipman? Um, yes. And and he just wrote a book on longevity, and and I love him. I'm obsessed with him. I think he's very smart, and he knows his stuff. And. It, And he agrees with me, intermittent fasting, keto, not good for a woman in her reproductive years. It's not best for hormones, but a woman in menopause or when we're talking about anti-aging, when we're talking about like longevity and getting the best out of like our 50s, 60s and 70s, intermittent fasting and maybe even not necessarily, but lower carb is the way to go. It definitely has an impact on like telomeres and lengthening them. And it's just something interesting about like actually starting to like trick the body a little bit and almost like quote unquote starve it a little bit. It actually then thinks about how to maintain itself more. So there's, I think it's more about like the time in your life versus which diet is going to work for which person. So now I'm curious because I'm pregnant with my third right now. I'm due in June. Thank you. It's my last child, but I was doing intermittent fasting before like while I was essentially like while I was between my second and my third kid and it actually took me I think it was like maybe maybe it was the fourth month um which like is is not slow but it's but I remember like being like oh this is strange because like with my second kid I got pregnant on the first month and then 
it, we, we had fertility issues, but I just, I kept getting pregnant and then it being an ectopic pregnancy. And, but they, like, I, I want, and now it's interesting that you're saying like intermittent fasting is not good for, cause I was doing that, but now, no, no. So after I'm done with this kid, I'm not, I'm obviously not in my 50s, 60s and 70s, but going back to intermittent fasting, I'm 35. Is that fine? <laughs> Probably I would. And that's where I would go with how do you feel when you do it? Do you feel better? Do you feel worse? Is your hair good? Is your skin good? Are your nails growing? You have good energy. Right. You have a good sex drive. What's your period like? I probably wouldn't do it breastfeeding personally because right. okay. I think we're like machines then and we just need a lot of just we're producing food for another human. Maybe max 12 hours if you were going to do it then. But really it would go on. Yeah, I, I, was, yeah. I always did. Like I had a woman, she's done having children and she came in recently. I treated her to get pregnant and now she just sees me once in a while. And she came in, she's, she felt absolutely horrible. And when we broke it down, she was basically intermittent fasting and not eating enough carbohydrates to sustain her life. And she was like falling apart. And I was like, this diet is not working for you. <laughs> you have to stop. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I just had another girl too. Yeah. She was coming to me intermittent fasting, no carbohydrates trying to get pregnant, just had a failed fertility treatment, failed IVF. I changed her diet and she's pregnant right now. It's three months. That's all it took. It was amazing. It was amazing. Maybe it was two months. Yeah. But so, yeah, it's it can have a major impact. So anyway, for you, I would just go to like, how does this make me feel? That is the okay. biggest thing. Do I feel healthy? Do I have enough energy? Am I pooping? Am I sleeping? Do I have a good sex drive? Like all the things, like look at all the boxes. Because it's not like healthy isn't skinny. Just so everybody knows that. Not exactly. Skinny. <laughs> um, now, not always. Um, yeah. Exactly. With so we talked about PCOS and how diet can help that. Is there a specific diet that can help with endometriosis? Yes. Um okay. I it's it's basically autoimmune paleo is what I would say. I cover okay. the diet in my book Body Belief and that is really why I wrote it was for endometriosis girls, but Hay House wanted a more general topic so we just said autoimmune across the board, but it helps. But it's basically an autoimmune paleo diet I've seen the greatest success with. And especially those okay. girls that have the endo that is stubborn and they have the natural killer cells and they've had more than one miscarriage and they have the poor quality eggs. That's and, and we're talking like a good six to nine months. But it's a very restrictive diet. However, it really does work because you are just basically reducing any potential inflammatory agent in your body. And then that, on top of that, obviously, non-toxic bath and beauty products, and you're getting the right supplements. They tend to do really well with three grams of fish oil a day because they're just very inflamed types. So yeah, that's where I go with, with the endos and, and it works. And I also go there with the girls who have this unexplained infertility. We don't have an endometriosis diagnosis, but they are not getting pregnant. Maybe they have premature ovarian failure, things like that, low AMH, high FSH for, for a young age and nothing else is working. I go there, the autoimmune paleo and, and it works. Can you explain what the restrictions for autoimmune paleo are? You're basically just eating vegetables, protein, high quality protein, animals and fish. And that's really it because you can't do nuts. You can't do beans. You can't do nightshades. You can't do grains, sugar, artificial sweeteners, soy, gluten, dairy. So Is it, um, 
Is it, can you eat sweet potatoes? Yes, you can eat sweet potatoes. Okay, so, so it's, it's like Whole30. It is like Whole30, but Whole30 still has nuts. So it's still no uh, Not peanuts. It doesn't have peanuts, <laughs> but it still has all the other nuts. But it's all lectins, basically. Okay. You gotta remove all lectins, which is nuts and beans and seeds. And Okay. And so I have it, in my book, In Body Belief, I basically have it as like, we do an elimination diet. And then we fully enter in because not every autoimmune person reacts to all the foods. Some girls, it's beans. Some girls, it's nuts. Some it's nightshades and some it's grains or some it's just like for me, if I have almonds more than three times a week, I'll start to flare up. So I like I have this and I have to be sprouted almonds. They can't be raw. Like I have a very specific, but I figured it out. And that's what I try to help um, my, my clients do. But I've seen is all this, most dramatic changes when they follow that diet. Is is all of this in the book Body Belief? The autoimmune stuff, yes. So okay. um, between Body Belief and Yes, You Can Get Pregnant, they overlap a bit. But Body Belief is not like fertility specific. So you wouldn't necessarily know to buy it for right. yourself if you were trying to get pregnant. But it is. And I'm revamping the, a revision of Yes, You Can Get Pregnant will be out by the end of this year with all of the autoimmune stuff in there. There's some autoimmune stuff in there, but I'm going to go deeper. Oh, fun. Um, I'm about that. That's a nice opportunity. And then anything specific on Hashimoto's for diet? You have to act like gluten, dairy, and soy are allergies. Okay. Really? No exceptions, period. <laughs> Forever. Listen, once they get pregnant, though, for certain, especially if you've had a miscarriage, you got to stick to it. You got whatever mm-hmm. you were doing to help yourself get pregnant. Don't change it once you're pregnant. I'll have girls oh, for three years and they're on autoimmune paleo or whatever. And then they get pregnant. I'm like, can I have gluten? I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> you can have it in your third trimester and it has to be organic. Please. sprouted. But no, are you kidding me? Like, we just work so freaking hard. It's funny. Right. joke, But. That's the biggest thing with Hashi's is I think the diet is the gluten, dairy, and soy. And more and more endocrinologists are saying that to their patients, which I think is great. And that you're just, you need the right amount of zinc and selenium. So just good thyroid support in your body too. Like, a you know, really good. I like the green superfoods, like a spirulina is really great for thyroid support. But yeah, and most people don't know they have Hashimoto's. They think they just have hypothyroidism. So a lot of doctors don't even check the thyroid antibodies. So if you're a thyroid patient and you're not getting pregnant and you don't know whether or not you have Hashis, you should ask your doctor to check your thyroid antibodies. And if they come back, anything over really a 20 is an elevation of thyroid antibodies. And that's telling me that your body's producing antibodies to attack its own tissues. And that sets the stage for a a very inhospitable environment for pregnancy. So you got to get that under control first. And you want to, because if you go in to a pregnancy with a mismanaged autoimmune condition, the chances of your child having autoimmunity is high. Uh, It's scary. It's just what the science is showing us. That makes sense. I have no more questions because I feel like you've, you've done such a wonderful job answering. I, I think PCOS, endometriosis, Hashimoto's, those are all a lot of things that keep coming up and they're definitely, obviously the stats are pointing to a lot of women suffering from these things. And so I think this is going to be really helpful for women who are listening to this podcast who are trying to conceive and might have some of these symptoms. So thank you for so clearly articulating things that we can do and how to notice it. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, that's all for today. 
To get in touch with the doctors, you can find Amy Route at A-I-M-E-E-R-A-U-P-P.com. If you have questions or comments or need some more guidance during your trying to conceive journey, please email me at sarah at juna.co. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.